Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. Well, there continues to be fallout from this 2020 election. If you are a faith-based voter, you are probably uh, getting all sorts of text, emails, phone calls from people, and they run the gamut, which uh, can go from Trump's going all the way and all this corruption and fraud and the courts are going to turn this around. Uh, Again, caution you, we um, as conservatives should never put ourselves in a position where we are relying on the courts to turn anything around. But I digress. Um, And then you hear people all the way on the other side. It's a fait accompli. Trump needs to get off the stage. Um, He's hurting his chances for 2024 or whatever business he would like to be doing. post-presidency, I have heard, and I I think I may have mentioned it on the last show, um, people speculate that he is going to uh, start a super mega dwarfing of Fox News type of a network that is in charge of disseminating true truth, and um, which would go head-to-head with Fox and Newsmax and some of these other entities. Um, Wouldn't be a half-bad idea, but Anyway, um, regardless, um, I, I printed an article here, you know, laying out with uh, what some of his uh, post-presidential plans may be. It says, aides and advisors to President Trump believe he has accepted that he is unlikely to overturn President-elect Joe Biden's election victory and will begin to plot life after the White House, including a 2024 run once his campaign has exhausted all of its lawsuits. Um, this has happened in American history before with presidents that have uh, were sitting presidents, lost an election four years later, came back and um, became the president again. Um, and with a country as divided as we are, and hopefully with uh, voter reform, which just needs to be a priority one uh, by anybody uh, that's a conservative or a Republican. He has a very good shot in 2024 of coming back. That is indeed if the Republican Party gets behind him, and that is a big if. The article continues, multiple sources said it was vital to highlight failures in the electoral system in order to ensure its integrity in the future, but that the president and his team understood that overall the result was unlikely to change. And this does beg the question, and a lot of Trump devotees do not understand this, this is far bigger than Donald Trump. When Donald Trump um, gets off the stage, either now or whenever, um, we still have a constitution. We still have laws. We still have a fundamentally broken election system voting process that needs to be fixed because um, if it is not, um, in the words of, um, I don't know who it was, yeah, it was um, uh, Lindsey Graham, Republicans will never win another election uh, for president, and he is correct. So um, this is is in in reality the duty of a, of a president to ensure that each and every one of the citizens of this United States has full um, faith and confidence in the voting process and that they 
whatever vote they cast will indeed be legitimate and it will be counted. And right now you have a very, very high percentage of the citizenry that has absolutely no faith in this process whatsoever. So at the least, um, whatever happens with Donald Trump and it is a travesty, love Donald Trump or hate him. What has happened to this man over four years with a nice cherry on the Sunday with losing the election here? Um, it, it's just mind boggling. I have never, I have never seen such a lonely man and such a, a slighted man, uh, love him or hate him. But anyway, um, article says, uh, speculation about 2024, uh, run has become something that the president now talks about openly with visitors to the Oval Office, said a close um, uh, a close White House source. The president has uh, every legal right to bring whatever cases he has to the courts and follow the legal path, which is what you are supposed to do if you have an issue with an election, the person said. I suspect that once these cases are heard and adjudicated, and once we get through the Georgia recount, then the president will begin the public um, off-ramp. That could very well be the case, but um, not that he needs to leave it on the field for the team, but um, he does have a very self-serving interest, um, and he has a right to have a self-serving interest after everything he's been through to basically use the last eight weeks of his presidency to campaign and um, do his uh, highly, you know, successful and popular rallies in the state of Georgia in order to um, push those two Republican candidates that will be in runoff elections over the finish line. And, And I think he will do that, not that he has any love for the Republican Party who has thoroughly abandoned him for the most part in the last four years. But um, for the simple fact that if he does indeed come back in four years, he would like to have uh, the Senate chugging. And um, in order to get a plurality in the Senate of any degree, um, he would certainly need to start that ball rolling now. It would be very bad for the process in general and and you and I in in specifics if the senate was overturned and went uh, to a 50-50 tie which Kamala Harris would break that tie at every turn and that could mean um uh a a judicial um uh nominee to the supreme court and certainly many many federal um appointees as well that would get ram through at every turn. So it is vital that the Senate stay in Republican hands. And I think Donald Trump, at the least in the last eight weeks, will do his part to do whatever he can do in Georgia to ensure that. Now, secondarily, you know, uh, the the result of a hand recount in Georgia will no doubt um, narrow that Gulf considerably, and Donald Trump may end up winning the state of Georgia. But if he does or he doesn't, it is irrelevant. the The exposure um, within the legal system that the fraud is widespread in 
not many, but every single urban area in this country to one degree or another will be punctuated by any investigation or legal process that um, Donald Trump is embarking upon in Georgia. And that will indeed help the two Republican senatorial candidates that are in a runoff election in about um, six weeks. So again, not a, not a big uh, accurate prognosticator, but I believe that um, the Senate will be 52 to 48. Um, Donald Trump will do his best to help that out. Also, the House of Representatives seems to be closer and closer and closer every um, day that goes by. And at the end, you know, um, if things continue to break the way they are in these remaining 10 or 12 uh, races that are too close to be called, you know, Republicans are, are going to be a whisker away from the majority in the House of Representatives. Now, you and I both know historically the party that is not in power in the White House um, typically picks up a number of seats uh, in the House of Representatives in an off-year election. So in two years, it is entirely feasible that we are talking about a um, a Joe Biden administration that is limping along at best, a Senate that is a Republican Senate, a House that is a Republican House, uh, six or five and a half, whatever you want to call it, of um, the, the folks in the Supreme Court who are... Uh, strict constructionist or quasi-constructionist, if you will. So there's a there's a pretty picture to spin if you um, if you want to do that. Um, and we should do that. We should be optimistic as much as we can. Um, you know, uh, the the this push by many, for Donald Trump to just give it up and um, concede when all of these uh, lawsuits are going on is is not only silly, it's, it's just it can't be done. These things take time to roll out, as you and I know. Uh, with Bush Gore 20 years ago, a lot of people don't remember it. They were very little kids or not even born. Um, that took 37 days. So we have some time for this to play out. And at the least, the fraud and and deceit and deception, and as I've said on this show countless times, the mocking of God and and just the, the temerity to think you can get away with this, either in the short term or long term, is, is just so grossly naive on the part of the thousands of people, and it did take thousands of people to perpetrate this um, this fraud, deceit, and corruption throughout the country. Um, you know, eventually every knee will bow. We all know that. But on this side of the clouds, many of those people are going to get what they deserve. And um, that has to be a priority one for any Republican that uh, is elected president or any plurality in the House or Senate. And probably more accurately, um, the state legislatures um have to clean up their act as far as voting and uh, elections and fraud. 
Um, it's not going to happen with a, a Democrat uh, state legislature, Democrat governor, Democrat president. They do not have um, in any way, shape, manner, or form a vested interest in um, in cleaning this thing up. And the more dirty it is, um, the better it bodes for them. So there is absolutely no vested interest in doing this. Um for them. So this, this has to be, uh, cleaned up and, um, for people on Fox news to say that there is no evidence. Uh, I know, I know I keep beating that pony, but it really bugs me. You know, uh, president Trump support, you know, present the evidence we could do 20 shows on what the evidence is. The evidence is coming in to, uh, local state, regional, uh, federal law enforcement, um, Department of Justice, take your pick of of just it would just take too too much time that we do not have today to chronicle all of the myriad ways that cheating and fraud and deceit um, have been perpetrated. And you know the the best way to put it is I, I heard you know a guy goes to bed and uh, Donald Trump is up by three quarters of a million votes in the state of Pennsylvania, and then two days later. It's um, it's vaporized. Um, the statistic that in urban areas throughout the country, voter turnout was fifty percent, but in big cities in swing states, uh, Philadelphia being one of them, uh, Detroit, Michigan being another, ninety um, percent turnout. Ninety percent turnout. That's pretty interesting. Ninety percent turnout. Um, Mail-in ballots that historically I will seed are um, either 60 or 70% for the Democrat. Well, that means that they're 30 or 40% for Trump. And when they came in, um, in, in droves in the last, uh, in the, in the ensuing day, two, three, after the election, the percentages uh, that were for Joe Biden were staggeringly high. They were not anywhere near the 60 to 70% that he was getting in all other areas of the country. So it, it would be pointless to go on and on and on and on. But I did pray for people that were either directly involved in, in this chicanery or people that were just witting, unwitting pawns, um, a postal employees that were just kind of doing their job. Um, I just prayed really hard that they would come forward. And many, many, many of them have come forward with videos, affidavits, um, uh, sworn testimonies, if you will, uh, chronicling the voter fraud. And, and you know, uh, again, I, I, I keep picking on the, the lady from Idaho that I heard call in a... Uh, uh, a radio show saying, you know, why doesn't Trump tell us what to do as far as cleaning this up in Philadelphia and what we can do? And I kind of chuckled. If you're not from Philadelphia, you you would um, you would say that that's a, a pretty legitimate request. If you are from Philadelphia or surrounding areas, you would know that it's not quite that easy. And um, you know, you and I who uh, are believers in the Bible are firm believers in the constitution of the United States. We, we naively kind of scratch our head and say, what's going on here? We can't, um, 
this this cannot occur in the United States of America. We have a constitution which is being violated left, right, and crazy. Somebody's got to do something about this. Um, I, I mean, it, again, we do not have enough time um, on this show or five shows to chronicle all of the lawless, unconstitutional behavior that has gone on in this country, um, largely um, orchestrated by Democrats. Obamacare a few years ago, wholeheartedly unconstitutional. Um, the things that happened to Donald Trump in the uh, uh, the preamble to his inauguration, highly illegal and crazy and, and unconstitutional and unlawful. The things... The impeachment, the dossier, all of this craziness and the, the, the unrelenting drumbeat in the last four years, highly unconstitutional, highly irregular, lawless. But, you know, and, and don't don't get me um, wrong on this and, and don't take my words out of context. Um, big lover and believer in the United States Constitution, the rule of law. But the constitution ladies and gentlemen is meaningless paper if it's ignored by those in power and citizens additionally who are willing to scrap it and bow down to a tyrannical state um and we have examples of this all over the place the uh the mask police out there the hide under the bed um tyrannical leaders that just tell you to get under the bed and they'll tell you when it's time to get out. Um, We'll get into the schools again, which that one is even more mind boggling to, um, to comprehend if you're a lover of the constitution and you're a, a thinker, uh, a logic based thinker. But again, um, the constitution, uh, incredible document Bible. Let's just make the analogy Bible. Um, Every syllable of it's true. If you don't believe the Bible, if Jesus Christ is not your God, if the tenets of the Bible are not what you subscribe to, if that is not your rule book, is it is it not utterly meaningless to you? Of, of course it is. Uh, you you um at best because we have religious freedom in this country, you can worship whatever you want or not worship anything. And, you know, and, and but you have to be respectful of people that do hold um, some degree of faith to a higher power. But other than that, this is this is not an Islamic nation. No one is forcing you to believe um, the tenets of um, Jesus Christ. They're not. It, it's out there if you want. We have a free society. So is the is is our Lord up above? all powerful and he can change anything yes is the bible the inherent word of god and every syllable of it is is true yes but if you don't believe those two declaratives that i've just laid out it's a book it's a leather bound book or a paperback book and and it doesn't it means nothing to you in how you conduct yourself on a daily basis now the irony is people that don't understand uh, our constitution or the founding of our nation, it is based on Judeo-Christian principles. So 
you may fancy yourself as an atheist or an agnostic or or somebody that just is lukewarm about this religion thing but in reality you are you are a de facto Christ follower or a follower of the God of Israel if you subscribe to and obey and uh, respect the laws of our land, which are based on Judeo-Christian principles. So there, there's the irony, ladies and gentlemen, that people are like, you know, they, they don't accept Christianity. In large part, they don't have as much of a problem with uh, Christ-like principles as, as much as they do the delivery system, which is you and I um, being really terrible ambassadors for Christ. But the irony is when they vehemently say that they're not Christians or they're not followers of the Bible, if you will. We're talking about documents right now. Um, The irony is they do follow the tenets and the principles of, of the scriptures if they follow the laws of the land. So that's very ironic. The best way I can put this, I like to paint word pictures and tell stories. The best way I can do this is um, when somebody waves the Bible, or let's just say um, in this case, with widespread voter fraud and and people in high positions, particularly in the state of Pennsylvania, just not doing their job and or aiding and abetting criminal behavior in order to affect an outcome, a political outcome, um, which is which is a felony under any circumstances. When we're talking about things like that, and we want, and we we naively say, you know, hey, the 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 Pennsylvania Constitution or the Pennsylvania State Legislature can do this, and and um, our Constitution says this, and and it, it's very clear to you and I, particularly in the case of of one type of of voter fraud, this. Um, this nonsense that you, you can vote, you know, three days after the election. Um, one of one of the most sound legal arguments that the Trump team has on that one is voters that voted in person are pretty much disenfranchised. They are they are not on an equal footing with someone that has the ability, according to Governor Wolf and the judiciary in the state. To just mail in a ballot whenever the heck they feel like it. And when it gets there, it gets there. Um, try doing that if you're voting in person and you come at 8.01 and try to stand in line. Somebody um, probably with um, a firearm is going to tell you you can't vote. And that, that really much uh, pretty much says it. And you're going to have to get in your car and go home. It's not the case with mail-in ballots. So the, the the governor, the judiciary, way overstepped their bounds. And and uh, there's a different set of rules for people. Um, and that's just not fair. It's not right. And it's it is a violation of um, of law. And 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 the the Pennsylvania our constitution clearly says the right to to set election law. Is, is done in not only Pennsylvania, but every state legislature. So back to voter reform or election reform or whatever you want to call it, um, that is going to have to happen from the top down, but it's really going to have to happen at the state level. Um, 
you know, it was a different world 20 years ago, but Florida was pretty embarrassed and tired of being a laughing stock. It's, it's certainly not a blue state and a state where, uh, there anybody is proud of nefarious or illegal behavior like they are in Philadelphia, embarrassingly. And, um, very quickly after the 2000 election, they got it together. And, um, in Florida, their elections run pretty smoothly. Um, and they have mail-in, they have absentee ballots. They don't send out mass mail-in ballots to whomever they want to send them to. If you request one, you'll certainly get one. Um, people send it back. People vote in person. When the uh, polls close, the, the results are tabulated very quickly, sent to Tallahassee, and disseminated to um, news organizations. It runs very, very well. And um, that is that is born out of how dysfunctional it was 20 years ago. Now in Ohio, we've all heard of Cuyahoga County. Um, they don't get their stuff together till about 11, 30, 12 at night because they need to know how many votes they uh, the Democrat machine needs to push their candidate over the top. That crap is not happening uh, to any degree as it did uh, 20 years ago. Um, Ohio is pretty efficient. So if, if there's a silver lining in this, and my friend Rick Santorum says this all the time, and I say it all the time on my show, they always overplay their hand. So if people in Philadelphia think they're getting away with something by boarding up uh, windows so you can't look in um, and all sorts of other chicanery, you know, it, it gets so bad that what it does is it brings the national spotlight on the city of Philadelphia, which is no stranger to embarrassment when the national spotlight is shown on it. Um, and what you do is when you go to the well one too many times, or you're really, your, your um, uh, deeds are just so bad that even people that aren't paying attention have to pay attention. Then reform comes. So, I hope that the Pennsylvania state legislature will get it together in future elections. Um, voter rolls need to be cleaned up. Dead people need to be purged from them. People that no longer live in the state of Pennsylvania or any state um, have to be purged from those roles. And right now they're not. So back to me painting a little picture, a little story, if you will, the best way I can, not to discourage, but just to educate my friends that say, we have a constitution and our constitution's strong and all you got to do is wave it in front of people and, and right's going to win over wrong. I, I know it is in the end, God is in control. He will not be mocked, but let's just take that naive. I'm going to wave the constitution in somebody's face. I'm going to do a lawsuit. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that and expect a good result and expect good to triumph over evil. And I'm not normally a cynical person, but let me, let me lay this out for you. So you understand that we, we cannot rely on men and women in robes 
to do our job for us. Um, this whole thing with the fraud, the deceit, the chicanery, the dishonest media, I could go on and on and on and on and on, only gets fixed one citizen at a time, one heart change at a time. We have to change people's hearts, and we do that by leading them to Jesus Christ. And they become Christians. The fog blows away from their head. They start to become clear-headed, and they start to pay attention about things that affect them, their community, their family. And slowly but surely, all the craziness of big athletics, big media, big college, big tech, big business, I can go on and on and enlist seven more bigs, all of their sway and their influence doesn't work if you are steeped in Christ, you believe in the Bible, you clearly see right and wrong, and you say something's just not smelling right here. If you change the hearts and minds and souls of those individuals, that's how we turn elections. That's how we change a culture. Is it painstaking? Yes. Is it next to impossible? Yes. Without Christ, it is impossible. But the best analogy I can give you, dancing back and forth of being cynical and hopeful, is, okay, you, you got a guy who is driving his car 75 miles an hour, and he is fast approaching a school zone. There are um, There's a building, there's numerous little kindergartners and first graders. Um, it's lunchtime, they have a half day. And he sees the school, he sees the kids, he sees the flashing lights that say 15 miles an hour school zone. Back to the analogy of the Constitution, it's only as strong as if you if you care about it, correct? So this guy has not been, this is called scenario number one, a bad scenario. This guy has exhibited that he does not care about the laws that are on the books down at the township building or the police officer enforcing those laws, okay? He floors it. He goes 75 miles an hour, and the inevitable happens. He runs over a bunch of kids, and um, he is stopped, thankfully, by law enforcement that's in the area. They pull his car over, and how naive would it be for them to say, don't you know that law ABC 123 that's in the books down at the township building says that if you go 55 or 60 miles an hour over the speed limit, you're going to be fined $100 and you could be subject to going to jail and now you've killed a bunch of little kids and la, 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 la. there's books, there's laws on the books about vehicular homicide. The guy in the car that routinely goes 75 miles an hour in a school zone and just does not play by the same rules and regulations that you do and I do. He does not believe in the rule of law, a piece of paper, basically. He does not believe in the guy or gal with a badge on that is enforcing those laws. He's going to look at the officer that pulls him over and say, whatever. He doesn't care. He has served notice that he doesn't care. Now, if we have a bunch of people like that 
in our society that have that much disregard for the law. We call them criminals. Heretofore, we used to build jails and house them in there for our protection, not just their rehabilitation. Now we let those people out of those jails. We stop building jails because it's been called inhumane. People that commit fraud and deceit and criminality are not only not stopped, but they're actually, um, we have to understand them to the detriment of, of poor victims all over the place. So what happens is that's a bad scenario. And it is illustrative of what I'm trying to tell you about our Constitution. Those laws are just like our Constitution. They are only as strong as the people that observe them and acknowledge them and obey them. So let's go on to from bad scenario number one to really bad scenario number two. Um, Due to a combination of ignorance or apathy and... um, sadly, a growing number of anarchists in our culture. We have a number of people that um, don't care about those laws on the books. The aforementioned scenario was how we used to chug along as a culture. In any culture, there's there's always some bad apples. They're going to flout the law, break the law, try to game the system. And we as a culture, either believing in God or not, believing in his rule book or not, Tend to see, tended to see the value in stopping those individuals, incarcerating them, and segregating them for the rest of us that, I don't know, just play by the rules. The really bad scenario, number two, is when the driver of that car and much of society don't care about the laws on the books and Furthermore, they have disdain for the people enforcing those laws, i.e. police officers. Heretofore, police officers enforcing the laws of our land were revered. They were respected. When you saw those blue lights in your rearview mirror, everybody got a little nervous. Am I driving fast? Did I do something wrong? Um, There was a healthy respect for the individual pulling you over, or if somebody said, I'm going to call the cops, you got nervous. So scenario number two, which is a really bad scenario, if if it's happening in a culture, is when the driver doesn't care if he goes 75 in a school zone, and those in the community that happen to have houses around there, or God forbid, children around there, um, they don't care too much either. You know, he's going 75. Yeah, whatever. You know, I, 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 they don't have a respect for the law. And furthermore, a growing number of anarchists in our society tend to have no respect, not only for the laws, but the men and women enforcing those laws. So now we have a scenario where the guy gets pulled over and he's got a little attitude with the cop after he's done all these things wrong and he's emboldened by the fact that not only is he have a bad attitude and doesn't care about the laws of the society, but he's emboldened because he knows a growing number of his fellow citizens feel the same way, either through ignorance, apathy, 
or in the case of the anarchists, just rage toward the system. So that's a really bad scenario. Let's go on to where I think, unfortunately, hate to be the bearer of bad news, we are either in or headed to in warp speed, and this election and the fraud that was perpetrated during this election is not doing us any favors in hurtling toward category or scenario three here. I call scenario three a really, really bad scenario. And let's go back to our driver. Our driver and the community and now law enforcement do not care about the laws on the books. And I might add to that um, list of people, not only the driver, not only those in the community, not only the police officer that's supposed to be enforcing those laws, but the politicians that control things in the local, municipality, regional, state, um, or national. Uh, I mean, we could talk for hours about the corruption in the CIA, the FBI, the Department of Justice. These are big, big entities that are have been created for our good, and they have been corrupted. And again, the principles that those um, entities and the uh, people that work for those entities or the leaders of those entities once stood for, they don't stand for anymore. So the bylaws and the... Um, the uh, the tenants, the mission statements of those entities are only as good as the paper that they're printed on. Because now you have a scenario, back to the driver, where the driver is driving 75 in a 15 zone. He's killing kids. He doesn't care. The community, there's absolutely no outrage there. The police officer that stops him says, hey, um, I'm going to let you off with a warning. Have a nice day. And the politicians in those areas that make those laws, either locally, regionally, statewide, or, or federally, they don't care about the laws either. Now, if you have a scenario where the perpetrator, the community, people that are been charged to enforce law, and the politicians that make law all don't care about the law, then you have something that equals anarchy. That is the quintessential definition of anarchy. And I'm really, really afraid that we're either there now or we are hurtling toward that state. And the sad part about that is we're not going to change corrupt individuals like um, Comey and Clapper and Brennan, and the Clintons, and Joe Biden, and um, the union thugs in Philadelphia. And I could go on and on and on and on. We're not going to change them. Um, as, as far as, um, I mean, we, we if they're elected officials, we could try to get them out, and, and we should. But for the short term, we're not going to change them. We're not going to change the perps the driver that decides to go 75 miles an hour in a school zone. Um, at best, what we have to do is back to this thing, one citizen at a time, one heart at a time, one discussion at a time. We have to start with the citizen that 
is ignorant, apathetic. Politics is just not their cup of tea. Sticking their nose into some research about voter fraud is just not their thing. You know, Biden won. Yeah, there's probably some fraud, but just move over. Um, That cavalier attitude, Biden's the president-elect. Trump is a bombastic jerk. Just move over. I'm a little tired of Trump anyway. Really, really, really misses the point. And the point is not Donald Trump and what you think about him. It's not even, is Donald Trump a conservative or is he good for the country? Those those are all things to discuss. But the rule of law, the Constitution, right versus wrong, these are things that will far be either in place or eroded after Donald Trump leaves the scene. So regardless of if Donald Trump is doing this for altruistic reasons, he loves the country, he loves the Constitution, rules of law, or he's doing it for selfish reasons, I'm going to set myself up um, first and foremost and, and make sure this Georgia Senate races go to Republicans. I'm going to set up a scenario that looks really good for me. I'm coming back in four years and it's me, 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 regardless. That little thing called the rule of law has to be preserved, protected. And if, if Donald Trump is going after you know these lawsuits for selfish reasons or altruistic reasons, it does not really matter at the end of the day. We have a judiciary in place now, thanks to Donald Trump, that has to uh, take a critical, critical look at what has occurred, particularly in these urban centers in the United States of America. And, and this thing has to be cleaned up. If we have no rule of law, if we do not have fair elections, we are done. Stick a fork in the United States of America. Stick a fork in the Constitution. And as I've said, you know, 29 times in a row here, the Constitution is only as good as um, the respect people have for it. So um, that's my speech. Um, That's why it is very, very important. You know, people talk about, um, they talk about Trump and the country's good with Trump, he's bad with Trump, and and that's something we got to discuss. But um, if we don't clean this up, and we don't change first and foremost our hearts and start talking to one another and and people that that are ignorant, apathetic and just not inclined to do this pol- political thing or keep their head in the game we have to find a way to engage them and and get them a little bit more involved to what's going on and then if those numbers swell then people will take a more critical look and a less cynical look at what's going on in Philadelphia, in Detroit, in Atlanta. Okay, make sense? So let me pivot um, in the remaining minutes we have here over to um, the schools. Um, Because again, it it is kind of similar in the respect that, um, and, and ironic in my estimation, that Teachers, teachers' unions, administrators, uh, school board members, uh, people involved with in, in one form or another with the education of our children 
should really understand what education is all about. And now education obviously is different things to different people and it is many things. But first and foremost, when you are an educator or involved with educators, like, you know, many of the aforementioned uh, people, you are obliged to teach children from the age of five to 22, uh, right up through college, how to think. And that is something that has unfortunately um, really gone by the wayside in the last 30 years in this country. And and it really started in earnest probably around the time that um, Ronald Reagan was exiting the scene and George Bush um, kind of tried to carry his torch, but didn't do a very good job of it. Bill Clinton came onto the scene and the, the country really started a, a very interesting slide at that point in time and in, in, in the educational system as well. You started hearing things like outcome-based education where two plus two equals whatever you want it to, if it's five, if it's six, just as long as you're on the right track, that's cool. Um, we started hearing these terms teach to the test because George W. Bush had an idea in the, in the 2000, um, uh, no child left behind. So the feds were going to take a little bit more critical look at the, um, at local, um, educational, um, norms and try to understand why kids were failing or kids couldn't read and kids couldn't do that. And, you know, teachers and administrations not wanting to be painted in a bad light around that point in time, started doing this little thing that we call teach to the test. Um, they knew uh, a test was coming to assess their children's um, uh, level of learning. They didn't want to look bad. They didn't want their kids to look bad. Uh, they didn't want their school or their district to look bad. So they would give the kids the test or just teach the test over and over and over and over and over again. And then the kid would get the test and it would have the exact same questions on it that he or she had been studying for three weeks. And lo and behold, kids had great grades. Um, that's not learning. That's not education. That's um, a chimpanzee can do that. That's memorization. And that's not really thinking. And I think that started the ball rolling with a lot of us out there just not thinking and then we, you combine that with how we are all so inundated with devices and things encroaching on our attention and our time, regardless of age and ability to process. And you have a scenario where people don't have the time to think, they don't have the desire to think, they don't have the ability to think. And when you are in a culture like that, combined with some laziness and some apathy and some some people with some really bad motives, you really have a toxic situation. You really are able to get away with just about anything. Um, and that anything in the last eight months has been this hide under the bed, we'll tell you when to get out mentality that statists and tyrannical governors have been uh, foisting upon us. And the only thing more sad than that is when I look around and I see how easy it was 
for these folks to get away with it. And, and I think one of the reasons where I'm going with this with the educational system is I think one of the reasons it was so easily um, gotten away with is first and foremost, people's inability to think. We've chronicled on this show many times the mortality rate. You never hear mortality rates. You always hear cases, 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 cases are going up. We have to close this. Cases are going up. Incidences of COVID are going up. We have to close this. We have to close that. Never hear about mortality rates. The mortality rate among children, as many of you that are fans of this show know, I've quoted it several times, zero point zero 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 I think there's even another zero in there um, five which is five children out of every hundred thousand children that contract COVID die um, and this continuance of closing our schools kind of the virtual opening of the schools the 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 uh, quintessential cure being worse than the disease um, is is so on display in our school systems and our teachers unions that are really blunting thought and and controlling these entities um, and it, it's just so diabolical and it's so sad because if you if you add up or try to quantify um, suicide rates, drug overdoses, drug abuse, marital strife, divorce, family strife, um, uh, horrible grade uh, performance, um, uh, huge swaths of um, elementary students in municipalities all across the country um, where these these poor little kids are trying to learn virtually and 40 to 50% of them are way behind grade level. That never happened. Um, prior to COVID and, and to, to say, and, and these, these athletes that are not allowed to uh, pursue their athletic careers or get college scholarships. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And we've done all this because 0.00005 children that contract um, the COVID-19 virus die out of 100,000, it, it is it is so amazing. I could think of 10 disorders slash diseases off the top of my head that um, kill many, many more children than that, that we don't even bat an eye about. Um, and the old adage is accurate. You know, what do you get when you mix um, politics and science? Answer, politics. So I think I'll leave you with this. Um, you know, as, as we see cases on the rise, we see superintendents and unions and school boards shuddering in fear uh, for no good reason whatsoever. I think I'll leave you with this. The other day, I heard a story that this guy was telling me, and it really does encapsulate how sad this whole thing is as far as not being able to think being ruled by tyrannical whomevers and just being plain old afraid. And the Lord tells us hundreds of times in his word, do not be afraid, fear not, fear not, fear not. But I'll just tell you this story that this guy told me in the remaining minutes here. 
guy's taking his kid to school, he's driving him to school. It's in a rural area and they're approaching the school and they're about between a half mile and a mile from the school. So they're approaching the school. It's in a very rural area, trees, streams, deer, and there's a little kid. He looks like about a seventh grader and he's walking to school because he's close enough to walk to school. And the little skinny seventh grader with his backpack is a half mile from any type of civilization, any people, any dogs, deer, anything. He is a loner than alone on the road. And yes, you guessed it. He has a mask on. And the kid turns to his dad who, who relayed this story to me and said, dad, why does that kid have a mask on? So from the mouth of babes, right? A child has to ask, it, it, it's almost uh, makes us think of the, the kid that outed the emperor who was naked. Everybody was clapping. Oh, the emperor looks wonderful. Oh, I love his new clothes. And some kid who was commonsensical, who wasn't polluted by politics, like his uh, all the other people in the crowd said, what are you guys talking about? The emperor doesn't have any clothes on from the mouth of babes, right? So this little kid asks his dad, like, why does this kid have a mask on on a country road a half mile from the school where there's nobody around? And you know something? The dad didn't have a good answer for him. And he said to me, he goes, I told my son, I don't know. I can assume that his parents are fearful people. I can assume his parents believe um, what the teachers, the teachers' unions, the politicians, the news media, the entertainment complex, big tech, big whatever is telling them that we have to hide under the bed. We have to go down the road young, virile, with no symptoms or no comorbidities and wear a mask in our car. We've all seen that nonsense. But he said, I don't know, son. I can assume that his parents must be very fearful and they have conveyed or imported uh, or, you know, um, uh, just passed down, if you will, that fear to this poor little kid. And I think the analogy of the little kid walking on a country road a half mile from school with a mask on really tells us where we have um, arrived at as a culture. And it's got to stop. And it's got to start with Jesus. It's got to start with heart change. People got to talk to one another in a civilized way, listen. And we can't be pushed around by people that are tyrannical and are encouraging us not to think and see what we see before our own eyes. Um, so that's my two cents worth today. This has been Reshaping America, Kerf Welling. Until next week, have a great day.